Welcome to Nano Sessions, a NanoLumens podcast where we chat with the experts on all things visualization. Welcome to Nano Sessions by NanoLumens. I'm your host, Sean Heath. Technology is such an exciting part of our everyday lives, but at the same time, it can be a little bit overwhelming. It really seems to be, use whatever analogy you want, it's a a train that's picking up speed, it's a snowball rolling downhill. But one thing it's not is bland or boring. And somebody who gets to deal with the exciting part of Pro-AV on a daily, minute-by-minute basis is my guest today. Today, I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Dan Rossborough. Now, Dan is the director of strategic projects for Nanolumens. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I know you got SEGD coming up really soon in the next week or so, I think. So thanks for taking the time. I know things are really crazy there. There's something really interesting that your company does that I want to get to in a minute. And as a lead into that, I want to ask you a question. Are we getting to a point technologically where you're able to create a resolution that's sharper than my eye can detect? Well, I mean, absolutely. You know, Resolution in, in our world um, has to do with, with, with the term pixel pitch or roughly related to a density of pixels in a given area. And as we're getting tighter and tighter and tighter on pixel pitch, higher resolutions for a given area, we're able to cater to a lot of different target viewing distances. And it's all about viewing distance. So, you know, if you look at a, a stadium display or a billboard on the side of the road, something that's very, very low low resolution um, in a given area from 100 feet or 300 feet or 500 feet away, it's going to look crystal clear. So the onus really on our industry, um, really the space race in our industry has has been or was up until probably about a year ago, um, developing for higher and higher resolutions. Um, I think we've reached a point as an industry where the direct view LED resolutions are akin to you know, a very large, very expensive LCD TV. So in fact, we've kind of reached that point where, you know, one technology kind of blends into the other, where LCD goes up to a, you know, however big you can build a piece of glass, 105 inches, 110 inches, I think is the maximum I've ever seen. Well, how do you scale a, a seamless image bigger than that? And the only answer is direct view LED um, for any uh, common use space that's not, you know, light control where you can use a large projection surface. So to answer your question, yes, absolutely. Um, but it's all about, uh, you know, product selection, minimum viable product selection. And a lot of what we do here or I do here in my group um, is exactly that, helping helping architects and designers decide what is the appropriate product here for the appropriate viewer and making sure we have the minimum viable product and are not um, trying to oversell or sell, you know, higher level of technology than we need to, which is more, you know, costly. So it's all about a cost balance and uh, minimum viability. But to answer your question, yes. To bring that into an analog comparison, at some point you reach the limit of what you can do with a paintbrush. And the next frontier in that particular arena of art would be 
to change the shape of the canvas. Now, LEDs traditionally have been, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretty flat. They're not really something that you have a lot of flexibility in. And then at Nanolumens, you went and decided, yeah, that's not good enough for us. We're going to go ahead and change the canvas. Talk to me a little bit about the thing that you do at Nanolumens. And I have to say, it's absolutely ridiculous the things that you're able to do. Talk to me about the things you're doing to change the industry. You know, you have to really look back at the the origin of the company. Um, you know, I, I wasn't there when the company started, but I joined a few years after. Um, you know, this company spent a, quite a few years, three or four years doing strictly research and development. And the, the whole point was, you know, they could have gone and, you know, gone and, and seeked out some contract manufacturers and made some products to fit into a, a market and, and gone after some market share on some products. But what they really wanted to do was revolutionize an industry. And at the time, the idea of, of direct view LED indoors was was kind of a, a faux pas. I mean, People would do it, but the the resolutions were so low that you had these pixelated images. It was more for, you know, maybe big displays and big convention centers, maybe airports. There were very few use cases for it. And so, we, you know, people kind of looked at us crooked and said, yeah, that's kind of an outdoor technology. So instead of taking an outdoor technology and trying to, you know, slim it down and bring it indoors, you know, we spent all the time doing R&D to develop an indoor technology that was light and quiet and had low impact on infrastructure. And that was the key. And, you know, the company's origin was, was really in um, developing flexible materials that could emit light or video as a video source. And there were a few competing technologies at the time. The one that eventually won out was DirectView LED. So we started pioneering um, some different circuit board configurations and some different capabilities to be able to curve this stuff, productize that and patented that and then went out into the market and said, look, this doesn't have to be flat anymore. So we really, at the same time, we were pioneering on indoor direct view LED as a whole. We were pushing the industry to stop thinking of this as a billboard, just smaller for inside and start thinking about this as a material. And I think that's really the key of, of what my team does and what our sales engineers do. And when, whenever you get into a deeper level of conversation with nanolumens, you're going to start to hear or feel or get the sense that we view this product that we manufacture as a material. And that's how the architect should view this product or this material, because it really can form fit um, any kind of architecture that you want. And we're even moving the needle further now into compound curvatures um, spheres, domes, things like that, that are that are even nonlinear. So now you're talking about different computing models, even for processing bits and data and all the things that come with that. So there's really, you know, I think that the DNA of our company is is continual rapid product development. Um, we've assembled a, a fantastic group of industry experts from industries and adjacent industries, and really have come together in a in a in a team that not only sees where there's holes in the market, sees where there's products to be developed, but also has this customer first attitude where to put it, to wrap it in a bow for you, half of the products that we manufacture today that you might find on a spec sheet on our website were invented, literally invented for a client who wanted a product that didn't exist in the market or for an architect that wanted to do something with DirectView LED, 
that there was no product out there that that would do it. So they would somehow find us by the grace of God or by good Googling skills and get into a deeper conversation. And, and if we can, you know, if, if the product, you know, has enough value to it and it's the right kind of project, um, we'll go ahead and develop that. And then the other half of the products that we sell today are basically uh, products that were developed to fill out a range of products. So, you know, like for instance, when uh, Coca-Cola first came to us back in, geez, 20. 12, 2013, um, with this this beautiful conference hall that they were creating that at the time, you know, the, the design was for, I think, something like 60 LCD TVs in this gigantic matrix. Actually, they were plasmas. If you think back to 2012, 2013, people were still using plasmas in, in commercial. And this idea of direct view LED was something that they were kind of playing with um, with their consultant uh, waveguide down here in Atlanta. And at the time, nobody was even really commercially, had a commercially viable product that was high enough resolution to do what they wanted to do. And furthermore, whatever they did, whatever they put in that space had to be fully front installed and fully front serviceable because the, the room behind this wall that hosts this display is a hallway and access to a whole bunch of other parts in the building. So when they came to us, we knew we had about an 18 month runway. and you know, we started immediately into product development and came up with the very first, you know, sub three millimeter or narrow pixel pitch, if you will, front installable, front serviceable LED product, the first in the world. And, you know, we developed it. We went through some iterations. Um, the second revision ended up being viable and we installed it and it's still running today. Um, so it's really a testament to that. And then from there, we developed narrower and narrower pixel pitches or higher and higher resolutions, if you will, in front serviceable. And then if you take a look at the industry as a whole, everybody has now moved that direction. So we're still pioneering um, pixel pitch or resolution is somewhere where the pioneering has kind of stopped. Um, I think the industry, as I said earlier, has kind of realized that we've, we've reached a conjunction between what you can do with an LCD and what you can do with direct view LED. And until some other technologies or, or manufacturing methods become uh, more viable. I think we are where, we're, where we need to be, but the rest of the, the development is going to be around bit depths and color depths. And like I said earlier, compound curvatures and, and handling data and dynamic ranges and things like that, where we're continuing to you know, push the envelope, but it's, it's a little bit less visible unless you happen to be involved in a, in a development product, project with us. In looking at some of the projects that you worked on, uh, I get the sense that you take the concept of plug-and-play or just off-the-rack as a personal insult because you seem to do every single project from a point of view of mass customization. Like You really want to make each installation different and unique for that customer. And as an added bit of hubris... You guys do an awful lot of pre-contract design development. You're designing these things and doing all this work for customers yeah. before they've even given you a penny. That takes uh, a little bit of confidence, and rightfully so, I think. Is that really the, that approach from confidence, the way that NanoLumens approaches any sort of problem or challenge that a customer brings you? Yeah, so you know the idea of, of mass customization, if, if you look at the way our company is built, I mean, we've got 
probably twice as many engineers as we do sales guys, right? And then, you know, you have obviously your administrative parts of the company that carry that out. But that's because every project, everything that we build is application specific and bespoke. And you might ask, well, why, right? I mean, some, you know, a certain percentage of your business is certainly flat rectangular displays. Well, yes, but there isn't a, there, there aren't two host walls or two architectures that are identical out there in the world. So why would any two displays be identical? So we even handle it um, as application specific and bespoke, even for flat rectangular displays. And and when you talk about, you know, it's one of those things. You know, you live by the sword and you die by the sword. When you when you oh, when you run a company like that, you have this this massive capability that you offer the industry or the the design community. But then you're also even on on what are typically you know simple projects or simple products have a, an engineering or overhead burden that you have to then mitigate. So that's where you have to to kind of sell the value ahead of time. And one of the ways we sell value in working with nanolumens is that pre-contract design development. And that's what my team focuses on largely here at nanolumens. And really the idea behind doing that kind of thing is that, look, we're, we're dealing with commercial building projects, commercial building projects that sometimes take years um, to to be activated. And for instance, the, the very first meeting I took as an Analumens employee back in 2013 was with a consultant doing a just a feasibility study on replacing the, the giant uh, information boards in Grand Central Terminal with direct view LED displays. And we just commissioned them last week. So you're talking about a five or six year process of getting through everywhere from feasibility to design to RFPs to all of the red tape and then the actual construction project schedule itself and all the things that go with that. So with that in mind, you have to understand that just because, you know, we're willing to do this pre-contract design development work, but that's because we have to because the, our clients, particularly the clients on my part of the business, are the design community, and that's part and parcel to how they build business. I mean, business development in an architecture firm involves putting out a pretty detailed concept as a as basically an application to win business, right? So out of every five designs that an architecture firm might design, they may only win two of them, and they're competing on these designs, and they've got to do all this work ahead of time. That work that they do ahead of time, that pre-contract design, you know, that that's built into the cost of all the products that they make. So there's a there's a fine balance that you have to do there. And, you know, we've we've kind of we developed a pretty good sense, um, a pretty good nose, if you will, for sniffing out projects that we think are viable. And if we have a viable project for um, in the strategic project world, then we'll absolutely go at it with whatever resources we have available. Um, the other side of what I do is the strategic design account side where we have you know, a handful of strategic design accounts or there are architects and consultants that we do a lot of work with that any project they have will automatically be dealt with with pre-contract design development services from my team. And it's a commitment to those companies because we have a track record with them and because the work that they do and the client base that they have is a strategic type of client base for us. We go out on a limb on a lot of their projects and, I, and I'll tell you, we do a lot of work ahead of time if I win, you know, one out of every three projects that I do um, concept and schematic development for, 
I consider that a great win. And these are these are opportunities to be to develop something unique to even sometimes get into product development, as we discussed a little bit earlier. Um, really, it's, it's everything that you everywhere you want to be in in this industry in the the idea of creating these these immersive environments and these digital canvases and these materials for architects to work with. And that's kind of how we built this thing out. It took us a little while to figure that out. But once we figured it out, I think, you know, if you walk into any major architecture office in the in the U.S. or even globally, uh, Nanolumens has become kind of a, a household name, even uh, even a parody for the for the technology itself. So we've almost become the Kleenex of tissues um, in the architecture community where you'll hear sometimes architects who don't even know that Nanolumens is the name of a company or a trademark or a brand, but are literally calling our competitors in some cases, asking them if they build Nanolumens displays, right? So we got into that point. It's not easy to get there. How you get there is, is always kind of an enigma and you might get a different story out of a bunch of people, but I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we invest in the communities, the SEGD, the AIA, both globally and locally. And we do this pre-contract design development and it, it allows these architects to be very, very smart and have all the tools that they need to pull off something that's modern and, and unique. So one of the benefits that you derive from your pre-contract design development is there's a, I would imagine there's quite a bit of freedom that comes with having a general idea as opposed to the contract assigned and it has to be done within this certain box. There's a there's a bit of design freedom and, and creative freedom that comes with that. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. You mentioned Grand Central Terminal. I, I can't even imagine the stress level that must come along with working in an historically important building. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a great example. You, we started... You know, I started this conversation with a with a consultant who had you know no knowledge of direct view LED, but was really a, a telecommunications guy with you know one of the largest engineering firms, multifaceted engineering firms in the world. And they were hired by Grand Central Terminal to figure this out. Actually, hired by Metro North Rail that operates Grand Central Terminal. And you know, as as they were poking around, they they had some consultants in the in the industry who happened to know me introduced me to the conversation and I mean you spend a couple of years you know really back and forth you know every four to six weeks or so you kind of get a hit and run email hey by the way you know this is moving or we've decided to kind of look at this or hey they want to see this or possible to do demos and you just kind of work through this process but Grand Central Terminal if anybody hasn't seen it yet and we haven't published anything on it yet um, but you know because they're just coming live but there are some photos out there if you do some searching you know, those displays are built into a enclosure that was a, a crafted enclosure that's also protected and controlled by SHPL, which is a historic preservation league um, that controls a lot of different things from buildings to you name it in, in New York City, bridges, all the other stuff, where any modifications to the existing structure, or any of the visible components of this system, of the host wall and all the things around it, was a was a huge uh, no-no. So when you're working in that condition, also knowing that that opening in that wall that hosts this display was built for a completely different technology, was built 40 years ago, has had two different technologies living in it. So you've got whatever field modifications were made in the 90s to go in there and replace what was there originally. 
And you also can't touch or modify any of the surrounding equipment or surrounding finishes. And it's not just the big boards in Grand Central. There's 108 more smaller displays in Grand Central that are under the same control where they're built into an enclosure that already exists. And when we were working with the consultant, you know, the last thing they wanted to do was go to every manufacturer's website, figure out what all their tile sizes were, figure out which matrix of these tile sizes would fit this enclosure best and how to, how to minimize the gaps around the outside. And what I told them was, look, we've got plenty of time to figure this out. We've got time, if we have to, to go all the way to the circuit level for development on this thing. So if you tell me the maximum width and maximum height of each of these displays, there's, there's six of them. I said, we will develop custom PCBs or custom printed circuit board, custom tiles, custom components and modules to fit that within three quarters of an inch to an inch on all sides. And they said, you don't have to sole source nanolumens, right? That's the big thing with all this stuff. We do pre-contract design development. The architects always kind of got us at arm's length until they're comfortable with us. The clients always got us at arm's length, especially if there's municipal dollars or there's any kind of tax incentive in the project, in a capital project where they might have to go through a formal RFP process because sole sourcing technology or hardware is very difficult to do and it puts a lot of scrutiny on a project. And, I, and, and part of what getting in there early with this pre-contract design development is, is that we will help you create a performance-based specification for what it needs to do based on what we know we can do. And you can take our specifications, wipe the nanolumens name off it if you want to, put it out there on the street, and when people look at that specification, they're going to, as soon as they realize this is going to need a custom product, they're going to find us. The industry people that install these things know who does this kind of stuff. And you're not sole sourcing it, but your performance-based specification is based on something that only a product development company would actually go after. And that's really the key to this, is that you don't have to distill your design down to the lowest common denominator of products available in the market. You can work with us to create a performance-based specification for what you want it to do, put it out there in the world. And if we have competitors that say, yeah, great, we'll do that too, great. Competition is good for everybody. It drives the industry. It drives us to be better. But you'll find more often than not that there are very few companies that will really go out there that have the ability to control the design at the circuit level to be able to build these systems to match exactly what those specifications are. And we've been tested and, and, and found to be one of the only in the industry that can. Well, I am going to confirm uh, your previous suggestion. Anyone listening to this podcast, Make sure you go to the Googles and search for the uh, Grand Central uh, Terminal. You want to go and check that out because it it's pretty freaking cool. And that's the that's the calmest way that I can say it. As a nerd, I could live there, just hang out there for <laughs> a week. It's awesome, you know. And as far as flat displays go, you know, it's hard to get excited about big flat rectangles, um, but. When it comes to something that nuanced, I mean, if you didn't know all that went into the design of that thing to make that thing fit, you know, it didn't get the best press out of the architecture community because there's a lot of kind of stalwart opinions about, you know, technology in general in historic buildings. But I think once it grows on people and once the real story comes out about how that was developed and how that was manufactured with literally thousands of custom components in order to fit a historically preserved wall is is just a whole story unto itself and i'm sure our our marketing department will will put out some some press on that once everything's uh, up and running 
I think the, the key factor is that when you go into a space such as that one, you are really presenting to the stewards of that environment that you absolutely have no desire whatsoever to change the environment. You merely want to help accentuate the the cool, great historical value that's already there without, it's not all about, oh, dig me. It's here is this environment that we have enhanced. We haven't changed anything. We just want to help make sure you don't miss the really cool aspects of this environment. Yeah, I think that's really the key. I think if you look at any of the installations that we have out there, the the architect's vision is to have the technology be native to the architecture. And every single architect out there is gonna tell is gonna have the same horror stories about, you know, this this beautiful, perfect environment or this beautiful, perfect place that they designed and built. And then some con- some consultant or some other company or entity came along later and slapped a bunch of technology in there because they needed wayfinding or advertising or whatever informational displays. And it's just, it's, it's a common thing anywhere you go in public now that you're, you know, hearing this podcast that next time you go in, in any public building or if you're in the airport, you can see, if you look at the hardware in those places, in most instances, you can see that that was almost an afterthought. Those things are put in place because they serve a purpose and they have a purpose and they need to be there. But when you talk to somebody like Nanolumens or when you get involved with my group at Nanolumens, you're going to get a completely different take on this, as you were saying, Sean, where we're going to look at the building as a whole, the design as a whole, try to help you come up with viable products that accentuate the environment, that appear native in the environment and intentional. And I think that's really the key. And it goes back to the DNA of the company, as we discussed earlier, really the the product development around low impact on infrastructure. And that was always in our DNA. And, it, and it's still true today. Today on Nano Sessions, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with the Director for Strategic Projects for Nanolumens, Dan Rossborough. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. You guys, sir. Have a good one.